Have you ever had to run for your life? And not just run because you were scared, not just run because you were being chased by a bull or something like that. Have you ever opened up a car door, jumped out, and started running because you literally thought a person was going to kill you? Today, you're going to meet someone who has. She got away, and the experience has motivated her to pursue a life where she can save the lives of others. Just so you're aware, today's show contains graphic descriptions of domestic violence, so listener discretion is advised. This is the Curiously Morbid Podcast. the show. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, this is the Curiously Morbid Podcast. I am your host, Lucas King, where we hang out and have a conversation about how to live life better by talking about death, because let's face it, we're all going to die. It's the one, if not only, inevitable thing that happens to every single human being on the planet. So did you start out a sentence since the last time we talked with the phrase, when I die? And how did it go? How did people look at you? Uh, what did they say? What did they think? Did they look at you like you had a second nose or a third eye or a fourth chin or second chin or third chin? I don't know how many chins you have. Isn't it really interesting to see what people do and what people say when you start off a sentence with, when I die? So excited about today's show. You're going to love it. Today, you're going to meet a young lady named Megan. And Megan, uh, I talked about her in the first episode she has got a very compelling, uh, very uh, fascinating story with uh, uh, discussing uh, domestic violence that she experienced uh, at the hands of her now, thankfully, ex-husband. You're going to love her if you don't love her already just by the fact that you know that she is coming on the show to talk about such a challenging topic, I think, for us to... Uh, it's, it's brave in and of itself just to be here to talk. A couple things. Number one... As I mentioned at the onset of the show, this episode does contain some pretty graphic descriptions of domestic violence. So if that is troublesome to your ears, I highly recommend that you skip this episode because there are some tough things to listen to. Number two, the audio quality is not going to be spectacular coming from her side, and that is of no fault of her own. We blame the coronavirus for that. She went out to go look for earbuds in her small town that she lives and uh, there were no earbuds with microphones on them. So she was unable to find anything that would uh, really uh, get the, the, the voice through. And so the computer speakers, the computer microphone was the microphone that was used to actually record the episode. So uh, your ears will get used to it, I promise. And let's get right to it. Megan, thank you so very much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. I did not expect Megan to be on the show, not because, uh, not because we knew each other prior to, but when I put out a call on Facebook uh, to to find to basically kind of recruit friends, followers, family, anybody to come be on the show because a brand new show that's how you do it. Um, Megan reached out to me and and brought up a, a different perspective than what I was thinking in terms of folks that I would interview on the show. Um, and I just want to read Megan a little bit what you sent me 
um, uh, just to kind of, so folks know like what I saw and kind of my, oh my gosh, that's a great idea. Um, so Megan wrote and she said, not exactly along the same lines of what you'd asked for on your post, but I have definitely been living a better life since facing death. Recently, I started opening up about my ex after nine years when I realized that women need as much support as they can get uh, to leave a bad situation. The last time I saw him, he told me uh, that he was going to kill me, and I truly believe that he would have. And so, so that's kind of, um, you know, I was kind of approaching this like folks that have faced terminal illness or folks that have, had, have lost family members and how that's kind of changed the way they view life, um, or, or maybe even like near-death experiences. But but an abusive spouse was never something that I even like remotely kind of considered in doing this. And so, number one, um, a huge round of applause for even being willing to come on and talk about this. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it, it like I told you earlier, it um, shocked me a little bit when I messaged you of that, you know, and then there was no taking it back. So <laughs> right, because on on Facebook Messenger you can't unsend <laughs> like you can on Instagram. So once it's there, it's there. Um, but no, I I'm really I'm actually I'm I'm really glad that your fingers actually move faster than your brain on that um, in that situation because it brings us here. So, talk to me a little bit about um, even before this marriage, even before kind of getting into to this situation um, with the ex. Talk to me about growing up, how you looked at and how you thought about death, dying, etc. Oh, wow, um, I honestly don't know, not being very religious, I never knew. I hoped that there was um, some kind of afterlife, you know, that's what you always want. That way you can better your life the next time or, you know, reincarnation, whatever it is. Um, I don't know if I've never ever necessarily been afraid of it until I was, you know. Growing up, as you know, as a, as a younger child, did you did you lose any grandparents or friends or aunts and uncles? Like, were, did you go to any or many funerals as a kid? I remember one funeral as um, preteen. Before that, I don't think I went to any. So, so this, not. so this, uh, this kind of uh, this abusive situation was like the first kind of brush with brush with death in a sense that you yeah. that you had. I, and I did go to one other funeral when I was uh, a young adult, but other than that, yeah, that's I really never experienced death, you know, seeing it or being a part of it. When you were sitting in that funeral as a young adult, what what went through your head, even just in that moment? Uh, what did you think about? <laughs> um, the family drama that was there. <laughs> To be honest, <laughs> there, there can be some entertaining family drama at funerals. Like there, there can be. It's it's sad. It's heartbreaking. But there's also there's also there can be some things where you're like, oh boy, this is this is interesting. Yeah, I do remember um, it being middle of July and hot, sunny until the funeral started. Out of nowhere, thunderstorm. That I thought. You know, this was my grandmother who I was very close with, and uh, that was just crazy to me. But And then afterwards, you know, by the time we put her in the hearse, you know, it was bright and sunny again. In that moment where you're sitting there and you're mourning the loss of your, your grandmother, did you, 
did you reflect on the amount of time that you spent with her? Uh, was there any kind of, uh, in that moment, did you have any reflections on on your life and the, your relationship and the way you moved forward with the, with her? Yeah, I definitely, um, so I was about 19, yeah, I was 19 at the time, and I wish I would have asked more adult questions with her rather than, you know, got to spend more adult time with her in general. Um, know more about her family and our family in general um, other than just going to her house as a kid and eating all the snacks and playing with all her toys and whatever she had. Was, um, did, did you change the way that you spoke like to your parents after that? Did you start, you know, did you start asking them more adult questions? Did you start developing more of an adult <laughs> relationship with them? Well, yes, because the family drama did have to do with my mom, and so that's when her and I kind of started, you know, not doing so well, so to say. <laughs> Which we're good now. Love her to pieces, but yeah. <laughs> did it affect your life? Uh, so so as an example, so when I, when I lost my grandma, uh, which was actually four years ago tomorrow, I lost my grandma, and then a year ago on April 20th, uh, my grandpa died. And when grandma died, it changed the way I interacted with my grandpa, who we still had, we still had him, uh, you know, he was still around. I told him I wanted him to stick around because, uh, you know, I, I wanted, you know, I wanted him to stick around as long as he wanted to. I remember him, I remember telling him that. And, and it, it changed the way when I made a phone call to him, I was very mindful of the fact that this could be my last phone call with my grandpa. When I went to visit him, I always said goodbye as though it would be the last time I would see him. And yeah. so did, did your, did your, the way, did your interactions change with anybody, uh, with folks in your life after that? Yeah, with my granddad, uh, especially he and I became real close. Uh, when my grandmother was real sick, I was there a lot helping. I became the favorite. <laughs> but then shortly after, he remarried. And that did not go so well. So that fell through pretty quick. Um, I really hardly ever hear from him now and since then. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it definitely made us really close for a while. And he was, I've always been um, pretty self-sufficient, you know, as far as when I became an adult, taking care of myself, providing for myself. Um, but therefore, a short amount of time, he was more than willing to help me you know he paid for a semester of college for me and stuff like that which i'm thankful for but i would still prefer to have him as a grandfather rather than uh, whatever he is now you know he's part of his new wife's family and not ours anymore is that so a decision is that a decision that he made it either her or him okay <laughs> i'm not okay. sure so they, so he got remarried, and then he kind of adopted this new family, and and uh, decided like, hey, this is my my new family. I'm gonna go spend time with them, and you guys haven't heard much from him since then. That's pretty much how it feels, yeah. Okay, yeah. Has, have you have you reached out to him? Have you tried to? I used to always be the one who called, and uh, actually, about two years ago, next month, I had a daughter, and he calls me in April of that year. It's like, I just want to see if you had that baby yet. I was like, yeah, I had her eight weeks ago or six weeks ago or whatever it was. 
And he seemed a little heartbroken, but it's like, you know, you haven't called me in years, you know? I've always been the one calling you, so. Yeah. Do you live close? Do you guys live close to each other? Two hours. Okay, all right. So that's close-ish. Yeah. Um, out it he out here. It seems so much further when you do have kids. Like, loading the kids up to go to the grocery store seems far sometimes, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I uh, I mean, I wouldn't know about what it's like to have children because I don't have any. So I can just, I'm just, I can just think in my head, like, yes, that it's hard enough for me to get motivated to go to the grocery <laughs> store sometimes, let alone motivating two little people to go to the grocery store and yep. wrangling them and taking those drives and, and all that. So, um, okay. So you, 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 you get married, um, you know, I, I'm not sure how much of, this, of, of the marriage story that, that you want to tell. Um, I guess let's kind of get a little bit of time frame. Uh, how long, when did you get married? How long have you not been married? And like, what was, and how long were you married? I guess give okay. us a little bit of that timeline. So I was about 20 when we got married. Um, I'm, we'll be 31 here in a couple weeks now. Um, so it's been a while. Um, I kind of wanted to start when we, about a year before that, though, to get a little backstory on him and myself, I guess. Um, so when I was about 19 is when I met him. And I worked at um, a daycare as a preschool teacher. I was this tiny little 5'2", maybe 100 pounds, maybe. I had my own apartment. I felt like I was doing well for myself. <laughs> um, so I meet this guy through, he's a friend of a friend of a friend, basically. Not really the group that we would hang out with, but he was about five or six years older than me. Um, and I honestly cannot tell you what really attracted me to him because he had no job, no car. <laughs> you know, he lives with his brother. <laughs> but I guess it was that he was a bad boy. And he was, he was pretty charismatic, you know, and I was naive. And he could just talk his way out of anything, it seemed like, or talk to anybody. And uh, for whatever reason, he pretty much moved in with me damn near instantly. It felt like, you know, looking back, like, <laughs> what was I thinking, you know? But, uh... He had a child that he never saw. She lived about three or four hours away down in the Ozarks, which for all our Midwest people, we know, you know where that is. But for anybody who doesn't, that's southern Missouri, Arkansas area. And uh, he was actually on probation for lack of paying child support. So if you can't tell, he was a winner. <laughs> but um, he never kept a job long enough to actually have to pay child support. You know, he would quit before they started garnishing his wages. So he also, and this is kind of important to the later part in the stories, he never knew his father. But after we moved in together one day, his mom calls early in the morning and said that you need to go get the newspaper. So we go get the newspaper, and there's an article in there about his father. His father was in prison, or still is in prison, for the rest of his life, for the rape and assault of a 70-year-old lady. 
So now he knows who his dad is and has a little bit of backstory about himself. Did he know this at the time? Did he know no. his dad was in? No, this was. Nope. So that was his when mother when he... would never speak about his father. And so all she said was, go get the Kansas City Star and hangs up the phone. So that's how we found out. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, like I said, you know, he's on probation, has him go see this lady, having to go see this lady once a month um, to make sure he starts making child support payments. Is it supposed to leave the state of Missouri? All kinds of red flags, you know. So then about a year later, you know, after we lived together for a while, and this is after already multiple fights, and um, it seemed like after every fight, things got more and more physical and verbal, and it got to the point where there had already been several times where... Um, I was in a car accident more than anybody could really ever possibly be in a car accident, you know. You know, at least that's what I told my employer, my family. So about a year later, he was looking at going to prison for lack of child support payments. He basically begged me to marry him because he couldn't stand to lose me. You know, I was the sole provider. He never really had much of an income. So, of course, you know. Who would want to lose their free ride? You know what I mean? I don't know. I, I did. <laughs> we did. <laughs> we got married. And it wasn't necessarily, you know, some dream wedding. By any means, you know, of course, I was working at a daycare. Probably made nine fifty an hour, $10 maybe. Uh, about a $50 dress. And we did the thing, you know. Uh, about two or three months after we'd been married, I found out he was cheating on me. So... Obviously, I paid the bills, and this is back when um, cell phones, used, uh, cell phone providers used to send you a list of all the phone numbers you had called and all that kind of stuff. So one morning before work, about seven o'clock, I called this girl and I said, "Hey, I just want to let you know that he's married." And she said, "Bitch, I know." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, okay then." <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so things, we broke up right after that, and I spent the next year and a half living with my best friends. You know, by this point, we're able to, we're 21, we can go drink. We, we had a hell of a year and a half, you know, we partied, we had our fun, which that's what you're supposed to do when you're 21, you know? So, <laughs> that was probably, not that I ever want to relive 21, <laughs> But it was fun. It was fun. So this year and a half goes by. Fast forward to March of 2011. I get a Facebook message. And for some reason, even though I knew better, I responded. And we start talking. Two weeks later, we move to the middle of nowhere, Kansas. I up and left my best friend my roommate left a couple hundred bucks on the table. I was like, sorry, I'm out. And we get there. We live in this little shitty house. And we're close to his mom and dad, though. But I wasn't really allowed to talk to anybody. I had to delete my Facebook. 
my phone calls to my family were monitored. You know, I had to be on speakerphone. My mail was opened. My bills, hospital bills, like, you know, who's going to send me a letter inside? Oh, you know, like, <laughs> like he was so concerned that somehow, some way, somebody he didn't want me talking to was going to get a hold of me. And also, he must have, before I deleted my Facebook, had to have stalked it really, like, hardcore. And like I said, you know, we were 21. We partied. There was all kinds of pictures of me with plenty of people. And I was, he was positive that I was just some whore Why we worked together for a year and a half, you know, even though he was the one that had cheated on me. But, uh, he was just sure that he would name random people he didn't even know that he was just sure that I slept with. And even if I did, I mean, what would it have mattered? You know, we weren't together. Right. <laughs> That's as, um, yeah. Oh. The do as I say, not as I do kind of thing. Right, right. It's okay because he's the guy that he can do that kind of uh -huh. stuff. But it's not, uh -huh. it's not okay if you do it because, well, you need to be, you know, the submissive wife who stays at home and lets him do whatever he wants to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I was. Unfortunately, I was. Um, so this is when things get really physical, like he knows he can get away with it because we're not living in the city anymore. There's so few people around and he also, also, um, starts sexually assaulting me, which is still really hard for me to talk about. And I probably won't go into too much detail about that, but I did call him out on it one time after it had happened and we we're doing well, you know, one day we we're out, whatever. And I called him out on it and well, he didn't like that. He didn't think that anything he had done was wrong. Like one specific time I told you we lived close to his mom's house. And I told you, you know, obviously his dad was a winner too, but um this goes to show his mom isn't much better. Uh one time we were coming home from a, a restaurant. We'd have had dinner with some friends, and we'd had some drinks too, which alcohol does not make any of this okay. But it was about a 20-minute drive home, and about halfway through, I could tell I could tell something wasn't right. Like I was like, "Oh shit, we're gonna fight tonight." About halfway home, while I'm just staring out the window, I feel a hand grab me by the back of the hair, and just smash my face off the dashboard. And again, he tells me, you know, that I was fucking whoever. And can I say that? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we'll, we'll be marking all these episodes explicit uh, just for the sake of <laughs> keeping okay. under 18-year-olds under from listening to certain subject matter that should be supervised by parents okay. um, and so he just basically beats my ass until I get home until we get home and I am able to get out of the truck and I run to his mom's house looking for help for somebody to help me she won't even make eye contact with me and all she says to me is don't bleed on my floor and that's when I was like oh, oh shit my. God. Yeah. Like, I need to get out of here. I need, somebody needs to help me. I had no idea what I was going to do, to be honest. I was scared. 
And I think by this point I knew I didn't love him, but I was he still said he loved me, so I was so confused as to why somebody who loved you would do that to you. You know, I was young, I was I didn't I didn't understand. That's kind of just basically a backstory of how I was treated and what our relationship was like. So then we'll, I guess, fast forward to September of that year, 2011. I had tried to break up with him over the weekend. I told him, I'm going home. I'm done. I'm not putting up with this anymore. And I knew it was too easy. That Monday, he had a court date in Camdenton, Missouri, which is about a four-hour drive from where we were living. I told him I would still take him to that, you know, because he <laughs> didn't have a car. And I didn't want him at the time to be in trouble. So that Sunday, I go to night, or I go to bed, <laughs> and I wake up sometime in the middle of the night or that morning, and he's looking through my phone and just being super weird. And so we have to leave about 4 a.m. to get there at 8 a.m. And so we kind of just stayed up all night fighting. And then we go, I'm standing my ground for once in my life. I am standing my ground against this guy. Like there have been times I try to run from him before, but he's just always bigger, faster, stronger. I'm feeling really good about myself until I get in the driver's seat of my truck. And I told him I was driving and he says no. And I say, yeah, I am. Get in the passenger seat. I shut the door, locked my door, and he busts the window out. So he busts the window out. There's glass everywhere, glass all over me, all over everything. And he grabs me by my hair, throws me across the truck. We're in a single cab 1992 Ford F-150. And this was a whole new rage, like a whole new person. Like, I've seen him mad, but... This was, this was something else. So we start our drive and. What were you, what were you, when you saw that rage, what were you thinking in that moment? Like what, what was, was anything running through your head? Shit. Like shit. Um, that was about it. For about the first hour part of the drive, it's a two lane highway. And I was thinking, what am I going to do? I thought, okay, I'll just let this run its course. When we get there, there will be cops. There will be, we'll be at a court. I could get help. Because I got to the point where I was a submissive little wife. And whenever things would get physical, I stopped trying to run. I just let it happen because it would be over with sooner. And uh, less bad would end up happening to me. So that was my plan for about the first hour. And then when we make it into Missouri, from about Harrisonville to Clinton, Missouri, <clears throat> from about Harrisonville to Clinton, Missouri, it's a much busier highway. And I remember looking out my window, you know, and this whole time, you know, he's hitting me. He's has me by the hair. Like, I don't think there's one point where he ever lets go of me. And, you know, he has me by the hair and it's, pulling me around the truck and hitting my face off the dash and pushing me against the window. And I remember looking out my window, hoping that a car passing by could tell 
that I was in distress and I could just mouth the words help or something, that was my best bet. I mean, what was I going to do? We're going 70 miles down the highway, 70 miles an hour down the highway. So the other side of Clinton, Missouri, is, and we'd made this drive before to go to court dates there, so I kind of knew where we were going. And on the other side of Clinton, there's a very small two-lane highway that we get on, and it is literally the middle of nowhere. There wouldn't have been anybody to see me, see us, to help me. Nobody. And before we get on the exit, he tells me that he is going to, when we get to a secluded area, he's going to rape me and he's going to kill me. And I, I believed him. I was petrified. So I was wearing heels. You know, we're going to court. I have a skirt on. Luckily, I had a hoodie in the car because um, it was pretty cold being a September day, you know, driving with no window. So I have a hoodie on, skirt, and a pair of heels. When we're getting ready to hit this exit, I remember slipping off my shoes. And we get going down the exit and we're decelerating. And I open the door and I jumped out. And I luckily hit the ground running. I had no idea where I was going to run to or what I was going to do when I got there or who was going to help me. But I was out of that vehicle. And uh, I had managed to grab my bag when I got out. And I'm digging for my phone. I'm digging and I'm running. I'm trying to grab my phone to obviously call 911. And I remember there being a car in front of us that had pulled over to the side of the highway. And there was another car maybe crossing the highway that had pulled over. And I look around. I still haven't found my phone yet. I look around and he had, it seemed like the flash, you know, he had parked the truck and was catching up to me. I, I almost gave up. I thought that yet again he was going to get me, do whatever he wanted to me, and hurt me. And then, out of nowhere, a highway patrolman had his gun drawn and basically saved my life from that guy. I just remember hearing him tell him to stop. And when I turned around and I saw him, I just dropped to the ground, bleeding from every orifice on my face, missing a chunk of hair, which has grown back nicely. <laughs> it, has, um, it has. It's very nice. It's very nice. <laughs> thank, thank you. But I still just wasn't, wasn't thinking clearly, you know, and I wish I could have even gotten that officer's name or, or something. But he was arrested that day, and... He called sheriff's deputy who came and picked me up, took me back, and I wrote a police report about the incident. Nothing happened. Nothing happened after that. 
Fun fact is that um, in an overwhelming amount of counties in the United States, rape is not considered rape if you're married. And I got about two hours away from there after I wrote my police report when I get a call. He was already being let out of jail. They couldn't hold him. Um, not even with the not even with your face being broken and the fact that you did the fact that he did all those things to you and the 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 physical violence they couldn't no, hold because him they could that. not pinpoint a county in which it happened and so I called I called that sheriff's department and why you know like I wanted to know all why that was all I could say is why and that's what I was told and I said Every single one of them, every single one of them from this town, Kansas, to this town, Missouri, is where it happened. Pick a county. But, like, just yeah, pick I mean, one. Yes, all of them. Charge them in all of them. You know, like, <laughs> you know, being older now, like, I, I, I don't, you know, I feel like I would have more to say now than at the time when I was younger and I knew next to nothing about law. It was terrifying to have to live with those memories and then even for the next several months to have to wake up in the middle of the night dreaming about it and even now nine years later well actually the last dream I had had was when I was pregnant with my daughter so it's been two years ago it was about it and it was about him and it's scary because I still feel like there's a part of me that is afraid of what he would do to me if he found me today. So <laughs> I did. I moved back home and I tried. There was one friend that I tried to tell my story start to finish from. And when I did, I didn't feel like, which we're not even friends today, so I guess it goes to prove that you know, she really wasn't even a friend. But I didn't feel like she cared. She changed the subject. So I never really talked about it much. I just No one has no one has listened. I mean yeah. no no one has listened. The the police didn't listen. Your friends didn't listen. There were mm -hmm. nobody and, and when people got uncomfortable, they just changed the subject and probably tried to put some kind of silver lining spin on it and well at least you're not with them now or whatever, which is just yep. not okay. Yep. And to be fair, none of my friends really liked him anyway. But that doesn't mean I didn't need but somebody you, to be like, are you, you okay? If you don't yeah. like someone's husband or boyfriend or you think they're making a wrong decision, that does not mean that they deserve what you deserved. Nobody, deserve, nobody deserves, nobody, no one should ever have to experience what you experienced, ever, under any circumstance, in any way, shape, or form. I agree. And... So as I'm getting all as, I'm getting all passionate over here. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I wish I could take a lot of these things back, that so I didn't ever have to experience them. It did. It changed me. Changed the person I am today. I'm for sure because there is no way I would ever let somebody treat me half as a quarter of the way that you know he treated me. The first flag, you know, of any kind of physical violence. Bye. You know, like. I don't, mm -mm. I don't have to deal with that. So let's, let's talk first, before I go any further, 
And before you go any further, thank you for being willing to relive that for us to hear. Because that, yeah. I could, I mean, I, most, most people are going to hear this. They're not just going, they're not going to see you. And I could see you in, you were in the truck again. You, I could see you there. And thank you for the courage to uh, uh, do that for us. Um, it's been almost a decade, but I, when I think about it, I still feel like it was yesterday. Yeah. And it, when I was writing you know, down some thoughts that I had that I wanted to share with you about this, it was, it was amazing to me how much of it I didn't necessarily forget, but I refused to remember because why would you want to? Why would you want to relive that all the time? But um, as of recently, it's been something I think maybe I've wanted to talk about because who knows? Maybe maybe my story is somebody else's survival guide. I don't I don't know. Maybe somebody will realize that you know what this this person is treating me like crap and I don't deserve it, or it could help somebody maybe right like. Nobody has to feel like they're doing it alone. My, oh, my story is someone else's survival guide. Like that's a, uh, that, yeah. Um, you know, so let's, let's talk a little bit about how you've made meaning out of this. So when it comes to like, you know, making meaning out of stuff, we, meanings are not explanations. And I like, that's, I think that's a really important, it's an important distinction. Like, like you don't, you know, people oftentimes, like in this, in your situation, or even in a situation where they lose a loved one, they try to find an explanation of why did my loved one die so suddenly, or why did I, you know, it, it, they ask why instead of like what can I do, and and sometimes there is no why, you know, you, you could you could probably look through, you could backtrace that entire thing, the entire experience that you had with this with this man, and probably say, well, I shouldn't have done this, or I should have left here, I should have done this, but that doesn't, that's not helpful. That doesn't, it's a learning, right. you, you, but that's not, it's not helpful to just like beat yourself up over decisions you wish you could have made. And so a lot of times the only thing we have is how am I going to march forward through this? And how am I going to make meaning from this situation? Yeah. So how are you making meaning through these situations? I definitely feel like, um, I'm partly because of this. I'm such an empathetic person. I and I have a very active social life now. And all those friends, every single person I I come in contact with, even if it's a friend that I haven't seen in years or my work friends that I hardly ever see outside of work, they know that if they need to tell me something that it is their secret safe with me or that I will help them if I can. And I feel like I'm very in tune with another person's emotions because of dealing with my own for so long, you know? And uh, I'm definitely stronger for all of this. Smarter. <laughs> smarter for sure. And I definitely am one of those people now that I will be the first one to call you on your bullshit, you know? <laughs> when, when I don't think, you know, even if it's 
somebody telling a big fish story. You know, they caught a fish, you know, but it was six feet long, you know. <laughs> um, no lies. <laughs> yeah, no lies yeah. with Megan at all, ever. No <laughs> embellishments. No, it needs to be just the truth, and that's it. Uh, so, oh, another thing. I, I do want to go back a little bit. Um, I ran into the ex's brother's son's mother <laughs> several years after, probably about three years after um, this incident. And uh, she told me that he was in prison for drugs and some petty theft. <laughs> And that he was in the same prison as his father. And that they were doing family counseling in prison. Why? Like, his father's in prison for the rest of his life for the rape of a 70-year-old woman. I don't... That's what our tax dollars pay for. (laughs) You know? Uh, (laughs) I don't even know what to say to that. Yeah. (laughs) So how have you... I mean... Uh, so, so I, you know, was married this, I mean, I'm no, at no way comparing my experience to yours whatsoever. I'm just using this, this as a jump off point. I was married at 22. I got divorced at 27. I have no desire to ever get married again. Um, what is your, I mean, what's your romantic outlook? Um, well, I have two children now. I'm currently married (laughs) and we are currently separated. (laughs) Um, So, obviously, this whole experience, no, not just this experience. This experience did give me, I think, some unrealistic and unhealthy expectations of love and sex. But uh, right now, we're just, we're working on being friends. I mean, kids change literally everything. Uh, And to be honest, baby daddy has been a saint. You know, we're working on it. You know, I'm... If this doesn't work out, I'm not getting married again. <laughs> two, but, two strikes, you're out. Yep, yep. Not trying for the third time's <laughs> third time's a charm thing. No, nope. <laughs> no. <Nope. laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um, uh, how? So? So? How? What else? I mean, so? Okay. So I know uh, you. In June, you have a pretty important uh, interview. I do. Um, so. My son will be five this year, and for about the last four and a half years, it has been something that I've wanted to do is um, the police academy. Um, And I just, with having little, small children, I couldn't work those hours. You know, there's no way I couldn't work rotating 12-hour shifts. Uh, But I'm at a place now where I can, and... I do have an interview. I'm testing for it soon and then interviewing in June. And hopefully, you know, I, I do feel like I didn't get much help um, with the sheriff's department or, you know, anything. But that highway, highway patrolman that appeared literally out of thin air, he saved my life. I'm damn sure of it that day. And if I could at least do half of that for somebody, then maybe I've made a difference in the world. 
And I think that's the thing, too, is, you know, I've spent the last five years being a mom, which I wouldn't change for the world because it's great. I love it. But I also want my kids to be like, oh, yeah, my mom has a cool job. Or, you know, you know, I, I don't feel like my job currently is somewhere I'd want to take them for take your child to work day, um, which probably not as a police officer either. But <laughs> um, at least I could tell them that's what I do, and they could be proud of me. I'm pretty excited about that. Well, I think law enforcement needs more people like you. That's for sure. Um, uh, I think your goal, it, it sounds, I mean, it, it, when you mentioned, when we were chatting a little bit online here a while back, and you mentioned that you had a police academy interview coming up and, and told, you know, heard a little bit about your story, it made sense a little bit why you would want to go into this field. Uh, now it makes an abundance of sense why why you would feel this desire to go into this field and really like that's i mean that's what meaning making is all about it's this is my life this has been my experience this is what happened i can't go back and change any of it but i can march forward with with these changes this knowledge these lessons in mind and i can maybe be that person that steps in and not only saves a life but listens Exactly. And I think people in my situ you know, my past situation is that's what they need more than anything is somebody who will listen to them rather than somebody who tells them what they know. Because, you know, there had been times when we were in physical altercations and the police were called and the officers told me what they knew. You know, they they told me the statistics of domestic violence and you know um, like, like, uh, so I was trying to think of where you were going with that. Like they told you the statistics, statistics, they, did they tell you like, well, if there's, you know, we're not going to be able to arrest him. We're not going to be able to keep him. Were they just kind of like trying to just make it go away? Is that like, and yeah, or, um, I had one officer that told me the statistics of domestic violence that had turned into murder or, yeah. um, you know, and, and especially when you're a young adult, like, you have to learn those things yourself rather than be told. I mean, because surely my parents knew that this guy was no good, you know, but who's going to tell a 19-year-old, 20-year-old anything? That would have just made them... Me, oh, if some, if somebody, if some, oh yeah if somebody tells you not to do something that you're going to do as a teenager that just that instills even more like the fact that you're going to do it yeah um how has this changed your approach to parenting oh um i definitely feel probably overly protective of them <laughs> um you know so i did work at the daycare as a preschool teacher before i met him and i always knew Having children is what I wanted. Um, but I don't think I ever, and maybe it's just having children in general, or maybe partly because of the situation, that I never thought that I would feel so compelled to see them succeed. 
you know, and want better for them than I ever had. And I also, I, I have thought about this before, if I were to see my daughter or my son even involved with a person that I thought was not good, not okay, not didn't treat them right, like, how would I handle that? Because, you know, like we talked about you now, um, you can't tell a teenager that. You can't tell a young adult that. So what do I do? Do I tell them this story? You know, I don't want them to necessarily, you know, have to know all mom's past. But is it a lesson learned kind of deal, you know? Well, as as someone who has no uh, who has who has nothing but an opinion and no education <laughs> or anything like that, I I know that I know virtually nothing about my parents from when I don't know their I don't know about their mistakes I don't know and I don't know if it would have helped, but I think having that kind of honesty and saying, you know, I went through when they're older, I went through this. This is what happened here's what I would look out for, you know, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. That's just from somebody with an opinion and, and no, you know, education or yeah. expertise yeah. on any of that. <laughs> um, I don't think my son, I will have, really have to worry about. He's very empathetic, which then again, maybe he will be the one to get walked all over. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I think he's a lot like me as far as emotionally. You know, he cares more about other people than he does about himself, which I love. I absolutely love that about him. You know, he genuinely wants to see people succeed. And I love that. I adore, I adore it. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Megan, I'm, I'm going to end. So this is, a, this is an idea. You're going to be the first one we're going to try this out on. Um, since you're the, you're the guinea pig with everything uh, today. I'm, I'm going to end each interview with a little segment I like to call When I Die. And it's uh, basically, I'm going to ask you some of the questions that I ask family members about their loved ones who have died. Um, uh, because a lot of times we don't have conversations about, about when we die. It's something we try to avoid. It's something that it's kind of morbid. It's something that uh, it makes us face our own mortality. So we're going to try this out. And I just want to see how it okay. goes. All right? Okay. So it's... Uh, you can, you can, and I, and I want to explore saying, you know, you'll start this off with when I die. So, uh, when I die, casket or cremation? When I die, cremation. When you die, cremation. I mean, honestly, my kids can save the money and roll me off a bridge for all I care. Okay. But <laughs> when I die, I want my kids to do blank with my ashes. When I die, I want my kids to do whatever they want with my ashes. Whatever they feel is not super weird to do with a dead body. <laughs> uh, when I die, I want to be remembered as... When I die, I want to be remembered as a great mom, a loving sister, a good friend, and somebody who made a difference in the world. When I die, I want people to say blank about me at my funeral. <laughs> when I die, I want somebody to say that she was a comical genius. <laughs> uh, 
When I die, I hope no one tells this story at my funeral. <laughs> um, <laughs> when I die, I hope that nobody tells <laughs> the story about the time I farted on Gary's leg <laughs> at my funeral. <laughs> Who's, who's Gary? Who's, who's Gary? Okay, so we work together, but he's also my children's cousin's uncle. So we're related by marriage. God, okay, all right. When I die, and this will be the last one that I can think of right now. This is this is that was great. That was awesome. I just thought of that. I just thought of that right now. It's not a question I plan on on asking. Um, when I die, I want everyone at my funeral to know this. What do you want everybody? What would you? Let me let me ask. I'll ask you. I'll ask it the way I ask family members. What would they say? I ask family members, what would they say to everyone who's in attendance? So when you die, what would you say as your final parting <laughs> words of wisdom to everyone who attends your funeral? Hmm. Ooh, this is a tough one. There's so many things, and it depends on probably who I'm talking to. <laughs> um, now, honestly, friends, family, anybody... At my funeral, I want everybody to know that I love them. And shit, I don't know. This is hard. <laughs> it can be a couple things. It can be two sentences or three sentences. There's no way I would say one thing to everybody at my funeral. I would say multiple things. So okay. go ahead and say okay. multiple. Um. So I feel like with damn near everybody in my life, there's some kind of inside joke. So I want everybody to remember that. And that, so they remember that I'm funny. Okay. <laughs> and I do think that, um, I can add that too, to how I've coped with my past trauma is humor, <laughs> though I didn't get to express it much throughout our, our, our session, but, uh, <laughs> Megan, you are absolutely incredible, and I'm so I'm so grateful that you reached out, that you were willing to come on the show, um, that you were willing to uh, to come on and tell your story. And I just can't I cannot thank you enough uh, for, for being for being my first interview. So for the new show, so thank. I knew you so I'd much. be number one for something someday. <laughs> yes, and you are. So again, Megan, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Curiously Morbid podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, check the show description for how to get in touch. We want to hear your story about how facing death can lead to a more fulfilling life. In the description, you'll also find links to how you can support the show. Don't forget to start a sentence this week with when I die. And remember, every story is worth telling. And if you don't like the story that you're writing right now, there's still time to write another chapter. Thanks for listening.